We're starting this series. I've been looking forward to it for a long time. Uh, this series is very important to me personally because there's so much uh, that God has done in my life to help me deal with doubt. The series is thriving even when we doubt. And so long as we're living on this planet, saints are going to struggle with doubt. Doubt is a natural part of believing in God and, and living on this planet. And so we've got to learn to understand what it is, what causes it, and how it is we can overcome. A verse that has been a great help to me, it's actually my screensaver on my phone, is James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I like to see every trial and everything that cha really challenges my faith as a competition. You know, all God's people like to win. And I, I know that victory comes through the word of rightly applying the word of God to any and every circumstance that, that we might hold fast to God. And what's so great about God is he allows these seasons, these, these times of doubt to increase our faith, to make us stronger in our faith so that we can overcome. What we're going to do is we're going to study some of these small books in the Old Testament, some minor prophets. And, and what we're going to do is seek to identify doubts and how it is we can overcome by the truth of God's word so that our faith is strengthened. Our text today, it's a great text. It's a text that reminds us that God knows what he's doing and he has a plan. He has a plan for everything, all the evil, even the evil that is happening in our world. I know that's hard to hear. How can God use evil? How can he do that when he is a good and holy God? Friends, to, to understand that, all you have to do is look at the cross. The cross is the, the greatest injustice that has ever occurred on this planet. It is the greatest evil that has ever happened. The Holy One, God, was punished for sin he did not commit. But God used it for good. God used that evil to bring about salvation and healing and hope. And that's what God does. He has this power. And so when we're struggling and, and we're suffering and, and doubt begins to come, we've, we've got to be wise and we've got to choose to trust God. Everybody in this room is choosing to trust something or someone. Every one of us is choosing to trust in something that we believe will save us that will make our lives whole, that will give us peace and give us strength, that will provide for what we need. Trust. Trust is the assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. And friends, you're trusting in something. I'm trusting in something. We need to know what it is. You know, years ago, I had a relatively new car. And it was frustrating to me because occasionally it would start, but occasionally it wouldn't. And so on one of those times when it would start, I took it over to the dealership and they did a full check on it. And, and when it was done, they said, we don't know why it won't start. They said, I tell you what, the next time it doesn't start, just drive it over here and we'll have a look at it. It's like, do you the words understand? So I did what I did want to do is I, I traded it in. I love that car. I traded it in and I had to get something that was reliable. Friends, can I tell you, there's no one more reliable than God. But here's what is happening in the lives of many of God's people. Maybe some of you here today. God has not acted in the way that you thought he should. And, and you are not convinced that he is reliable. 
And so some of you have and are considering trading him in. Some of you have already lost your confidence and your trust in God and you've moved on to other things, even though you occasionally show up and and occasionally give him a nod. In truth, you're not trusting him. Uh, Some are, are struggling. And friends, when we struggle and doubts begin to come, what we need to do is is we need to reevaluate our perception of God to make sure we're seeing God as he is presented in the word of God. And then we need to make sure that we are really getting our hands around God's purpose, not ours, not what we want, but what God wants, because God always wants what is best. What this text, what this this beautiful part of the Bible does for us today, it helps us to understand the goodness of God's character and the greatness of his purpose and how it is best. This text helps us understand who God is and what God is doing in the world so that we can trust him. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to that text. It's the book of Habakkuk. It is a small prophet in the Old Testament. And I think the best way to get there is to go to Matthew and hang a left. All right, you're gonna go past Malachi. You're gonna go past... Uh, Haggai and Zephaniah. If you hit Nahum, you've gone too far. Uh, if, if, you, if, you, if you get to Micah, you've gone too far. We're going to Habakkuk. It's okay to use the table of contents. I know all of you with electronic devices, that's what you're doing. You're not better than the rest of us. Let's go to Habakkuk chapter three. We're gonna look at these final verses in Habakkuk chapter three, verses 17 through 19. And Ella's gonna come read for us. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word. We're in Habakkuk chapter three, verses 17 through 19. Ella, read that for us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the full, and there be no herd in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. If you would be seated now and and pray for the preaching of God's word. Thank you, Ella. Well done. One of the great challenges we will face and do face and have faced as Christians I know for me, is maintaining our faith in God when God does not appear to be doing what we think he ought to do. A natural question that we will often ask when God does not seem to be doing what God should be doing is this. How can a good, all-powerful God let this happen? It's a common question amongst those who are hurting. It's a question I asked on a Saturday night in the fall of 1993. I had been ordained just for a few weeks and I was a youth pastor and we were having a youth event and there was an accident and a young boy was killed. As we were driving in the ambulance to the hospital, the ambulance paramedics let me know that they were just following protocol, that he was dead and there was nothing that could be done. Now, as I rode in that ambulance and I looked at that boy's dead body, I had a very important question for God. I said, God, how can you, a good and all-powerful God, let this happen? And it was one of the darkest nights of my life. 
there are a lot of people that are asking that question today. Maybe you. We live in a world filled with pain. Events like 9-11 and the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan are going to continue to happen. There will be pandemics like COVID-19. There will be injustice in homes and neighborhoods and nations. There will be tyrannical leaders that are going to cause pain and problems in our world. And we must remember when these things happen, not if these things happen, when these things happen, that God has made human beings with the capacity to choose. And when sin is chosen, we always feel the pain of the fall. And when we feel pain, we often struggle with doubt. The good news for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ is that we can thrive even when we face doubts. We can thrive by trusting God even when we face doubts. Now, Habakkuk is a great help to us in this. He teaches us how to to, to truly trust God. His, His name has two meanings. One is to wrestle and the other is to embrace. And what we see in in this, this very powerful but short prophecy is that he wrestled with God concerning how God could allow a wicked nation like the Babylonians to decimate and destroy God's people. He he also wrestled with with how there could be continued spiritual decline, how, how it was God wasn't stepping in and bringing revival and an awakening. Now in the end, By faith, he embraced God and he chose to cling to his promises. We don't know a lot about his story. We don't know a lot about him. We know that he prophesied during the time of Jeremiah and and Zephaniah, probably maybe during the time of Daniel and Ezekiel, but none of the prophets mentioned him. What we do know is as as the Babylonians were coming into power and uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his son that we probably know more and are more familiar with, Nebuchadnezzar from the book of Daniel, as they were coming into power, God revealed this vision, this oracle to Habakkuk. The situation of his life is very similar to the situation we're in today. The people had money and they had time And they were not using either for God. It was a time of great prosperity. It was also a time of great defiance to God. People were turning away from God. They were not honoring God. And here Habakkuk was. He was praying for a revival. He was praying for an awakening. But instead, God made it clear judgment was coming. Friends, we need to understand, we here at Living Hope, we've been praying for an awakening, for revival, for years We're not alone. Other churches are doing it as well. They're praying this. And if God does not bring revival to his church and an awakening to this land, he will bring judgment. And we have every reason to believe that judgment is upon us. Dustin Binge wrote this recently. What could be more obvious of God's judgment on a nation than to give them leaders who don't lead and commanders who don't command? We live in a time we're being told to turn away from God. What do you hear from entertainment industry? What do you hear from politicians? What do you hear from the academic elite? What are you hearing from the powerful in industry? Are they calling us to seek God's favor? Are they calling us to repent and to believe in Jesus? Are they calling us to humble ourselves and to honor God? Or are they telling us to turn away from God, to pursue what we desire, to get what we want to get and to do whatever we want to do? 
Friends, these are the people that we put into power politically, and these are the people that we continue to give our money to, to make decisions for how we communicate and live. They reflect the character of our country, and they show that the judgment of God is coming and has come. We live in a day of great selfishness, and many are doing whatever they want to get what they want at whatever it costs. We are living in hard days when it's easy to doubt. And like Habakkuk, we need to learn to trust God. We must learn to trust God's goodness, his purpose, and his sovereign power to accomplish his purpose, which is always, always best. Now, to trust God, there's some things that we've, we've got to do. Our text shows us what is required to trust God, even when we doubt. So write this down and remember, first of all, trusting requires us to release our earthly expectations of God. To release our earthly expectations of God. Let's go to chapter one. I'm going to walk you through Habakkuk. Now, you're going to need to go back and study this in more detail. I want to give you some things to think about as you do that. Look in verse one of chapter one. It says the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. This word oracle is Massah. It also means burden. Habakkuk was given a burden. And we who love the Lord, we feel a burden for people we see turning away from God and pursuing a a way of life that leads to hell. We are burdened about the conditions of our country and the godlessness that is continually being promoted. In verse 2, we see Habakkuk complaining to God. He's praying. Look at verses 2 through 4. Just skim it real quick. And what you will see is he's complaining about the injustice and unrighteousness of the land. We're not sure if it's just particularly in Jerusalem or of the whole world, but he's, he's frustrated. He wants to see God move. So look at verses 5 through 11. Again, just glance through it. And what you'll see is that God answers Habakkuk. And it was shocking. Because God said that he's going to raise up the Chaldeans. That's another name for the Babylonians. And that he was going to allow them and cause them to decimate and dominate not only Israel, God's people, but all the surrounding nations. Now look in verse 12 through 17. Habakkuk complains to God. Because he can't understand how God could go against what, what Habakkuk had expected him to do. See, Habakkuk expected him to do what he did in the book of Judges, what he did in 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. See, what God, what he wanted to do is what he'd done in the past. When God's people were faithless, he, he brought up a leader, he raised up a leader, a judge, a king, who would turn the people back to God. And so he's saying, God, it's time for you to do what you always do. It's time for you to do what we expect you to do. Fix it. Fix what we've done wrong to, and, and, and let's get on with it. But that's not what God's going to do. That wasn't the plan. He wasn't going to bring about an easy fix. He was going to bring about judgment. Now, Habakkuk was pretty convinced that he had a sealed case. Look at, look at verse 1 of chapter 2. He, he is so confident that he has made God aware of, of the wrong he has done that he says, I'm going to sit up here on this perch until God provides what I know he's going to provide according to the way I want it. See, Habakkuk had some earthly expectations. Things that he wanted, things that he he had an idea of that should happen. But verses 2 through 20, God tells Habakkuk, it's not going to happen this time. 
And what's going to happen is that we're going to require that, that you be faithful, that you live by faith. And there's a distinction here that, that he reveals. Look in verse four. This is, this is a very famous verse. It's quoted three times in the New Testament, just the latter section. And there's a distinction that we need to catch says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. He's talking about there about the faithless. But look what he says about the righteous. But the righteous shall live by faith. There's a huge difference between the faithless and the faithful. And it has everything to do with our source of trust. If we are not trusting in God, we're trusting in a created thing. A created thing that will always fail that will never provide what it has promised and always leads to sin and more pain. What we are called to do is live by faith. This is faith that is anticipated to be revealed in Christ. That's why we see in Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, Hebrews 10.37-38, the quotation of this very verse. Now look. We may not agree or like God's plan but we can always trust God. You may not agree and you you may not even like what God has determined is gonna do. But friends, you can always trust God. Look in verse 14. Here's the promise. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We must keep our hope on God, in God, not in our circumstances, not on the things that, that we want to happen, the things that we wanted and have decided are best. God is good. He knows what is best. He is worthy of our trust. And we must choose, as Habakkuk did, to trust God. Look at verse 20. Habakkuk 2.20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. We, as an elder body, regularly pray for the sick in our congregation. We anoint them when they ask for healing. And when we do that, we go to my office and we always begin by reading James 5.14. If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And we trust in God's power to heal so much so that we say, look, if you get to your car and you realize you're healed, text us. If you go to the doctor and they do that, that, you know, uh, x-ray and the tumor's not there anymore, give us a heads up on that one. If God provides, let us know. It was, it was so wonderful. At the end of the last service, a, a couple came up and, and reminded me of how God had, had provided the, the healing uh, in her life after we had anointed her. And what a great blessing that was to see the goodness of God. Now, it wasn't immediate and it wasn't the way she had expected. She needed a kidney. We prayed that the kidney would just be healed. Instead, soon after we had prayed for her, In the middle of the afternoon, someone showed up, knocked on the door. They let the lady in, didn't know what was going on. She said, hey, I've been sent here uh, by the hospital. Um, I have your kidney in my body right now, but it sounds like you're going to have it in you soon and you're going to live. See, God, God has a way of providing. And when God doesn't provide the way we expect him to, the way we often as elders will pray, we shepherd the people and, and we remind them that we are, to, we are to remember that God has promises and power and his providential care. And so, yes, we're to pursue success. Yes, we are to pursue and be good stewards of our lives. But realize we won't always get the job or the spot on the team or the role in the play. We won't always get the guy. We won't always get the girl. We won't get the win. We won't get the healing. 
There will be failure. There will be defeat. There will be sickness. And if the Lord tarries, friends, there will be death. There will be death. We must learn to release our earthly expectations of the way we've decided it's supposed to go and simply trust that God knows best. And in trusting that he knows best, honor him for who he is. Honor him for being holy. See, second thing, trusting requires us to retain our holy fear of God. And that's what's happening here. Look in chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. In light of the coming judgment, Habakkuk again prays. And it's very important that we follow the example of Habakkuk here. Notice what he does not do. He does not disrespect God and he does not abandon God. He does not agree with God, but he does not disrespect God. I remember as I was suffering under the load of the pain of the death of this child, I had well-meaning people telling me that I could yell at God, that I could even curse God because God was big enough to handle it. And I, I never did that. And I pray that I never will because God is holy and I'm not. God is great and mighty and good and I'm not. And there is no place for that kind of pride in a human being. What is appropriate is what we see in the heart of Habakkuk here. There is a respect for God. There is a seeking of God. So look in verses one and two of chapter three. Habakkuk prays and he confesses his fear and he asks for mercy. You know, people don't like the idea of fearing God. You notice that? I notice that as a person who preaches on it pretty regularly. I was mindful of someone who left our church just over 10 years ago because I was preaching on hell and they told me that they never wanted to raise their children to, to fear a God and to fear uh, an idea like hell. Their faith has not gone well. People today want a God who is safe. People today want a God who is useful to their purposes. But can I tell you, God is not safe to sinners. And God has a plan and a purpose that is perfect. And his will is going to be done. Seeking God and seeking his will is the best thing we can do. But friends... It's hard. It is not comfortable. Let me tell you, the closer you get to God, the more holy you will realize he is and the more you will fear him. And people don't like that. Well, I'm not going to get near God then because if I'm going to live in fear, that's not what I want. You're missing the point. Knowing God for who he really is will lead you to fear and to seek his mercy And in finding his mercy, you will find delight. The delight comes after the fear. Warren Wearsby years ago wrote this. Many people have the idea that it's always an enjoyable experience getting to know God in a deeper way. But that's not what the saints of God in the Bible would say. Moses trembled at Mount Sinai when God gave the law. Joshua fell on his face before the Lord, as did David. Daniel became exhausted and ill after seeing the visions God gave him. The vision of Christ's glory on the Mount of Transfiguration left Peter, James, and John face down on the ground and filled with terror. When John saw the glorified Christ, he fell at his feet as though dead. Friends, 
if you get a glimpse of the Almighty, you are going to fear him. If you don't fear God, let me assure you, it's because you have not seen him. The God you've made up in your head is not real. The God of the Bible is terrifying and causes you to cry out for mercy. And that mercy brings delight. And that delight, it comes after fear. It comes out of understanding the greatness of God. So look at verses 3 through 15 of Habakkuk 3. You see Habakkuk recounting what God has done in the past because God doesn't change. And so he says, God, you're the one who led us out of Egypt. You're the one who met Moses on Mount Sinai. You're the one who created the world and can crush it with a single word. Friends, God is at work in the world and we need to understand this. Either you are joining him by faith or you are rejecting him with faithlessness, and you stand in opposition to him. There is no middle ground. Either you stand with God by faith in Christ alone, or you stand against God, and you are his enemy. You know, there's lots of people who want God's stuff, heaven, comfort, peace. God wants more for us than those things. He wants us to be strong, He wants us to be thriving. And I hope you've not grown tired of this. Thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's commands while trusting outcomes to God's capable care. Thriving is trusting God. It's saying, God, I trust you and I fear you. I fear missing out on what you are going to do more than anything else. But that's not the case of some here today. That's not the case of most who are not here today. Because those who are not here, and some of you who are here right now, you're suffering. You're suffering from a spiritual disease called FOMO, fear of missing out. And your fear of missing out is greater than your fear of God. You fear missing out on what the world can bring. You fear missing out on what you desire. And this social media craze that Congress recently met about that's causing so much so much depression in our land amongst young people and craziness amongst adults produces FOMO because people see things and they think that should be me. That's what I need to have. I've got to have it. They've got it. And there's a fear of missing out and you'll do anything to get it. You fear so much. You'll do anything to get what you think this world can provide that, and I use this word intentionally, that you think will save you. That you think is gonna give you an identity and a purpose and the desires of your heart. Friends, no created thing can do that. All created things die. They are destroyed, they are stolen. There is one who remains, one who is worthy of our praise and our trust, and that is God. And he is holy. And he absolutely can bring delight to our hearts, but only in as much as we fear him. Many do not fear God, and the statistics reveal it. Here are the facts. God's people are physically gathering for worship far less than ever before. Nationally, the average Christian is is gathering for worship one Sunday a month. One in four Sundays. 
Here at Living Hope, we have found amongst our families that there are a majority that gather once every three weeks. And those who consider themselves faithful members gather twice a month. That's considered faithfulness in the minds of some. And friends, that is not faithful. God commands us to gather weekly. Not only that, God's people are financially giving less to God. This church is giving less to God than it did a year ago, two years ago. Why? FOMO. Fear of missing out. I've got to have the next best thing. I can't give money to God. I've got to keep up with the Joneses. They've got this and that. I've got to have that and this. I've got to have all of it. No, I can't give to God. If I've got something left over and I'll give to God, that shows you where your fear lies. It's not in fear of God and missing out what God brings. You're afraid of missing out what the world will bring. And so it gets your attention and your time and your money. And God's people are serving the church far less. It's my belief that people want earthly blessings more than they want the experience of thriving with God. And understand, if you're going to thrive with God, it's going to hurt. It's going to cost you. It's going to demand sacrifice. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Success in the Christian life comes at great sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that says, God, I fear you. I fear missing your blessing. I fear missing out on what is best, more than the temporal things that the world promises but never delivers. When we trust God, there's something that happens within us. And that's the the last thing I would encourage you to write down and to remember. Trusting God, it requires us to renew our humble confidence in God. To renew our humble confidence in God. Rather than saying, and this is what, if, they, if you admit it, admit it or not, whether others admit it or not, when, when God's not first in your life, when, when he's not the object of your hope and your trust, here's what you say if you say anything to God. God, I will follow you as long as it is convenient and comfortable to me. And that is what many of so-called Christians are saying today. God, I'll, I'll follow you as long as I've got time. As long as there's nothing else going on. You know, as long as I've got a little extra money, a, a little extra energy. Yeah, I'll follow you if it makes me happy, if it gives me what I want. That's not what Habakkuk is saying. Glance there at verses 17 through 19. Look what he's saying. This is the prayer of the faithful. This is the prayer of those who are trusting in God. And this is the prayer of those who are seeking renewal. It's a prayer that says, God, I will follow you no matter what. No matter what happens, I trust you. Our prayer becomes a prayer of Habakkuk. And look at the blessing we get in verse 19. People who trust in God, those who've been saved, who trust in God, they're strengthened by God. Look what it says in verse 19. 
God, the Lord is my strength. The Lord provides for our mental and emotional health and, and gives us peace. Week, just a week or so after the, that boy died at that event, a sheriff's deputy showed up at my office alerting me that the family was suing me for a million and a half dollars and blaming me specifically for the death of that child. And my heart, already hurt, began to get buried. I can tell you, I'm still amazed that I, I did not lose my faith. Supernaturally, God strengthened me Supernaturally, the word of God that I have hidden in my heart began to spring this fruit of life. And the Lord was strong in me. And then my feet became firm. Look what happens. We become sure-footed. He makes my feet like the deers. It's the, the analogy here, the, the, the idiom is that, that, that we become firm. We stand strong. During that time, I came to conclusions and to convictions that I still hold to today. I had well-meaning professors and counselors that were telling me things about God that were only half-truths or maybe not true at all. Telling me that the God of the Bible was a myth, that, that we needed to pursue inner peace and that we just needed to come to the conclusion that everyone's okay and everyone's going to heaven and it's all, gonna, it's all just going to be okay magically to, to believe more in Disney than I did God. But I don't buy that. I did not then and I do not now. The things that I became convicted of then and I am convinced of now, it happened in that time of pain. I came to believe in the authority of scripture. I came to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and his work through his word to strengthen and to provide solid footing for life. And that walk led me to what the Bible here calls high places. See, those who... Trust in God. We walk in high places. He, he makes me tread on high places. 18 months after the lawsuit was filed, it was, it was rejected. I, I was not found responsible. It was an accident. That 18 months, along with the sadness of losing this boy that I had known since he was little, I found God's strength and goodness. And it prepared me for so much pain that I did not yet know was coming. Here I am 28 years later, and God has seen me through so many big and seemingly insignificant things like last month. Last month, after preaching three services, I went to my office and I found a letter. I didn't see if it was signed. It's my policy. You don't read an unsigned letter. I opened it and I began to read it. It was benign and somewhat benevolent at the beginning. But then as I began to get into the details of the letter, this person was telling me that I, I needed to question my calling and I needed to doubt my faith. Now, it was at that point I looked to see who had signed it, just so I could know who to go and whoop in the name of Jesus. 
but there was no signature. And so I immediately knew who had written the letter. It was the devil. He used someone's hand, but it was him. And I mockingly said, not today, devil. And I took the letter and I threw it away. But the truth is, I didn't have my shield of faith up. And that dart caught me. And it hurt. And I'm so thankful to God that you guys gave me time away last week because that wound was healed last week. And there was renewal in my heart. And today I stand before you with my shield up in case you're thinking of sending a ladder. That belt of truth around my waist and that helmet of salvation and those those shoes with the gospel of peace. I'm I'm armored up today. And I, I say to God, wherever you lead, I'll go. I want to walk with the Lord. I trust him. How about you? Who or what do you trust? Friends, if it is not Jesus, you are lost. You are lost. And you are heading toward hell. And you need today to decide to choose another path. The path of life in Christ. And if you've wandered from the path, you need to come back home. You need to repent And you need to trust the Lord. Let's stand together as we pray. As we stand, care leaders, if you would, please come forward. They're here to minister to you after the service. Some of you will definitely need them. And that's why they're here. Let's pray. Father God, I can't help but know that there are some right now who are not trusting in you. They're trusting in worldly things. And they are so afraid of missing out that they'll They'll put you aside and they'll spend their time and their money and their energy in in earthly things, even sinful things, rather than trusting in you. And they're lost, God. And I pray right now that they will turn to you. And if you want to be saved, if you want Christ to be your Lord, in your heart, pray this prayer to God. God, hears your heart. Admit to him that you have sinned. Tell him that you know that you have sinned. Tell him that you believe that Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sin. And ask him to forgive you and take over your life because you're going to follow him all the days of your life. And if you're praying that, come and talk with one of these leaders because you're just starting, friend. You're just starting. If you claim Christ as your Savior, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to see yourself truly. Ask him to help you see where your trust lies. Where's your money going? Where's your time going? Where's your energy going? Is it God? Is he first? Or is he leftovers after FOMO? Repent. Repent and put your trust in God and commit yourself right now to putting him first and serving his kingdom purpose. Trust him. Trust him. Tell him you're sorry. Tell him you trust him. Ask him to help you to trust him. Praise him because he is worthy to be trusted. And ask for help to trust him. We, we all struggle. We are all tempted in various ways. 
Ask him to help you to be faithful, to trust him. And you may need help. You definitely need help. So come and talk with one of these leaders. Father God, every single one of us needs you. And we are so grateful for your grace and your mercy. Bless us to fear you and to trust you. And as we go through life and the doubts come, enable us to be a people who are thriving, not because we're getting what we want, but because we trust, we trust that you're providing what is best and that you're doing what is good and right. And bless us, God. Bless us with the hope that, that we have in Christ alone. Bless us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.